0: You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV. Hi Josh. Hey Bob, how are you doing? Okay, how are you? I'm better. I'm more better than better than me or better than you were? Better than I was. Um, and you know, I don't know whether to bring this up, but I heard in your conversation with recent conversation with Mickey Kouse that he was taking performance enhancing supplementation for the conversation. And I didn't want to show up empty-handed. So the reason I'm feeling better is because I'm now taking L-theanine. Wait a second. How do
1: you spell that? I'm, I'm I'm looking for any edge I can get. L-theanine. Theanine. T-A-L-DASH-T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. Should I should I swallow it or snort it?
0: Um, swallow it to start and see how that goes. See, see if, if, if you if want to get more. Immediate. If you don't get the results you're looking for, then you can grind yeah. it up and snort it. And, and I will the, have a,
1: a needle handy just in case that doesn't work. So what is that like an amino acid or something?
0: Good, good guess. It's an amino acid found in tea, tea leaves. And hmm. uh, it has a calming without drowsy effect. So i okay. well, much calmer. I will, I'll
1: give you a grade at the end. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you how, whether it, or not it's worked. Let me introduce us. I am uh, Robert Wright. Uh, this is the right show available on both streaming video and via audio podcast. You are Josh Summers. You've had conversations with me before, including on the right show per se. And then more recently, you've done a couple of things that are kind of in the twilight zone. We live streamed them on YouTube and put a couple of them in my audio podcast feed, but didn't um, didn't put them on the bloggingheads.tv website. Now, th- But this one will will uh, be available through all traditional vectors. And you are, uh, well, you're a yoga teacher, for one thing. You're a something maybe of a mindfulness teacher, uh, inevitably, uh, but, but more yoga guy. Anyway, we know each other through meditation circles. Um, and we were kind of brought back in contact by the death of Michael Brooks a mutual, uh, a, a good friend of yours, somebody who I knew somewhat and and had been friendly and collegial with. Um, and uh, that led us ultimately to start talking about cognitive empathy, something I had been scheduled to talk with Michael about on his show before his extremely untimely death a couple of months ago. Um, and uh, so this is another in a series of conversations that will have at least something to do with cognitive empathy, by which I mean not emotional empathy, not feeling people's pain, but just trying to understand how they view the world. Um, this is uh, something that I claim could uh, solve many of the world's problems if more vigorously exercised by more people. Um, you, yeah. you're a, you're not a full blown skeptic about that, but you're not. I don't think you're fully on board as a member of my cognitive empathy cult.
0: No, I think I'm more part, I mean, I'd be part of your tribeless tribe on that. I think it's more, um, I think my, my limitation is that <clears throat> I'm, I'm kind of a case study of, of, of the type that you, you warn against. You know, I have, I can, I see myself get whipped up by certain narratives in the media, um, or online. And I feel like my whole perspective on things gets, gets pretty radically skewed at times. Um, and then it takes me a while to claw back to a more sober look at things. Um, and I, and I, I do have to find myself coming to ways of employing cognitive empathy to do that. Mm-hmm. So I, um, you know, I, I might have some ideas of what gets in the way of cognitive empathy that differ from yours. But I think fundamentally, I see that that is a fundamental, a very important uh, piece in the equation or the prescription of, of, of moving through the, this moment.
1: Yeah. Okay. So uh, we had thought we would try to find some practical applications of challenges to cognitive empathy. Um, And I I think we also agreed, uh, we want to talk about something that has, in a way, I believe a natural connection to this, which is social media, particularly the pernicious effects of social media. Both of us recently watched this Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, which is about, you know, the the much discussed downsides of social media, I'd say. Um, So maybe we should start out with what I concede is in many ways the biggest challenge to cognitive empathy that I've encountered in a long time, which is something that has followed uh, upon the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And, And that is the Republican plan to um, well, I don't even need to elaborate. Everybody knows what they're going to do. They're they're going to uh, to nominate and confirm a Supreme Court justice after having asserted back when the shoe was on the other foot that you should not do that in the final year of a presidential term or after the primaries have started or something, something that in theory would apply to the current case. And they are saying doesn't.
0: You can use my words against me. I am not going to do that.
1: That's your, that's your Lindsey Graham. And that's not a bad Lindsey Graham. No, no,
0: that, that wasn't very good. I was thinking I should polish that up, but then I thought it actually it might sound help. a little more like Bill Clinton. I got to say, yeah, that's, that's the Michael Brooks influence that, that that if I go Southern, it can tend skews towards Clinton.
1: That was you doing Michael Brooks, doing Bill Clinton, doing Lindsey Graham, doing Lindsey. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to hear Bill Clinton do Lindsey Graham. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, you know, I think, first of all, I mean, we don't, I don't, I think it's always a good exercise to try to understand a perspective that at first strikes you as alien. I'm not sure I'll succeed this time, but here's a start. It's a it's a column you referred me to that was written by Brett Stevens, the uh, uh, neoconservative columnist for the New York Times, and he was actually arguing that, Republicans should not do this. I mean he he's kind he's kind of a a, a never trumper I think or an mm-hmm. anti-trumper. Um and but he began by conceding that he understood their own their pain. He said uh this was a, a a kind of a mock um a mock letter to Mitt Romney whom he was encouraging to do what Romney wound up not doing, which was opposing this uh he wanted him to oppose this Republican Republican maneuver. Stevens writes, lest you think I don't get the argument, let me rehearse it. That is the argument for doing what the Republicans are doing. Okay, so here's the argument. There used to be a bipartisan tradition of confirming well-qualified nominees for the court. Democrats trashed it with their trashing of Robert Bork. There used to be a bipartisan tradition of approving well-qualified nominees for lower courts. Democrats trashed it by filibustering George W. Bush's appellate court nominees. There used to be a bipartisan tradition of respecting the filibuster. Democrats trashed it by blowing up the filibuster in 2013. There used to be a tradition of the Judiciary Committee treating nominees with a sense of fairness. Democrats trashed it when they used uncorroborated allegations to try to block and besmirch Brett Kavanaugh. Now, it's funny the way, if if you're on the other side of an argument, Counter you cannot keep counter arguments from springing to mind, right they do it so naturally like on that last sentence, uh, he said uh, when they used uncorroborated allegations to try to block uh, and besmirch Brett Kavanaugh, I just thought, well, uncorroborated it was in it 's in the nature of of an allegation of rape that there the only witnesses are the accuser and the accused i mean right. it 's not like you can hope for I'm not saying that's worth dwelling on. I'm I'm just saying that's a tribute to how automatically the kind of tribal mind springs to the defense of its tribe. Right. Yeah. I
0: feel like that was like, I was, I was kind of nodding along. I'm like, Oh, I can see that point. I can see that point. And then he got to the Kavanaugh thing. I was like, wait, hang on. That's not, that's not totally right.
1: Well, also it seemed kind of like double counting. He had already done Bork.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's like,
1: uh, it's like, how different is this from Bork? By the way, I once found myself in a green room with Robert Bork. I forget what, show we were going to be on he was now i think he's died since then hasn't he but but he was i'm here to tell you a very bitter man and and uh understandably i guess but it struck me that i didn't even know the guy it didn't take long at all to get him to uh allude you know to 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 get him to um convey his enduring bitterness over what happened to him um, and and you know, look, if I were on the verge of being on the Supreme Court and somebody denied it to me, I'd be a little annoyed too. But the um, so so the point is, they're seeing this as a slowly escalating arms race of right. norm violation, and this latest Republican thing being only the latest escalation, and the Democrats having done most of the prior escalations.
0: Right. It gives a it gives historical precedent, and it's not just a one side breaking the rules exclusively scenario. Right.
1: And I wish I knew my political history well enough to talk about um, how valid this is or isn't. I feel, I'm sure that there are, there are uh, other tits or tats in the ongoing tit for tat that people better verse would mention. But the point is just, the main point is just that people like you and me, when when Mitch McConnell first said, we're going to get this done, we did not naturally think about this, what to them, what to the other side is an important part of the context.
0: Right. Right. The other piece too is, I don't know if you saw Michelle Goldberg's recent, somewhat recent piece, maybe a few from a few days ago, around the Bork thing, basically suggesting that um, after that debacle, there's been a kind of a, an agreed upon, taciturn reluctance to be too candid about positions on things like Roe v. Wade, uh, from any, from any nominee, um, because it's, it's basically a way to, you know, get chucked out like Bork was, uh, before, before a, a hearing. Um, and, uh, but there, the, the, there's, I think Senator Hawley, jo- another Josh is, uh, Saying that he will not confirm anyone if they, unless they are adamant uh, and, and candidly against Roe v. Wade, which she, she thought would actually play into the Democrats' hands in terms of uh, driving the, the differences to be to become more apparent or, or uh, uh, make it much clearer to, the, to to the electorate what's at what's at stake right now, rather than and keeping it quiet and and, and not really sure what's going on.
1: Yeah. Um... I don't know. I mean, as a political matter, I think most of the people who are highly motivated by this issue are probably going to vote in any event and already know who they're going to vote for. But I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not like an, an expert, um, political analyst.
0: Um, uh, now do you, uh, the question I have, you know, the question I have for, for you on the, on the table is, you know, given what is about to happen, right? Like given the kind of the inevitability about what's going to happen, what is a more sober strategy forward rather than say like an emotional over overreaction or over- emotional response um that could further entrench the, the issue? Like, like, it's a good question. It, well, first of all,
1: I mean let me let me say that I actually feel very strongly that outrage is appropriate here and and, but, and and the way I put it is I think what what what's pretty distinctive here is um the combination of the blatantness of the hypocrisy That is, you know, Lindsey Graham on tape again and again saying you can use my words against me. Um, We will not do this in the last word uh, in the last year of a Trump administration Um, and now saying they'll do it. The blatantness of the hypocrisy and the magnitude of the norm in question. The Supreme Court is a very important institution. It is the it is the court of last resort. Obviously, they may well decide uh, this election and public belief in the integrity of the court and the validity of the court as a ruling body is critical for that reason. They they decided in effect, uh, you know, their ruling settled the the 2000 election. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and and if there's too much cynicism about the court, your, your country's in in deep trouble. And so I, I, I think that's why outrage is, is important that they, they are, you know, to um is cause this really, really, really matters. The hypocrisy is really, really blatant. Uh And so there now, what is the the value of not getting overwrought about it? Not, not overreacting to it. I have to admit, first of all, sometimes I have an easier time answering that question than others. Like there's a lot of times um, when on social media things happen, people freak out. And I think to myself, you're just playing into Trump's hands by freaking out right now. You know, Um, the media freak out on this will, will, will confirm in the eyes of his supporters that the media is not fair. This is more challenging um, because, for one thing, I don't think so many people on the other side on the on the Trump or Republican side of this argument are gonna have a huge amount of trouble understanding what the basic objection here is. It does kind of seem like you guys said, you know, uh four years ago that this was the rule and now you're changing it. Um but uh I, I do think in this case there is a there is a danger of runaway retaliation. Like a lot of people are saying, well, in return for this, um, we should pack the Supreme Court. That is right. assuming Biden wins, which I'm not assuming, but assuming Biden wins and you have a, a Democrats controlling Congress, you expand the Supreme Court, uh, you know, add a couple of Democratic appointees, you're in business again. Well, obviously, the danger there is once that's a norm, it just right. the, the court just keeps growing well, it's only
0: it's only good until the next election cycle.
1: Yeah, and 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 slowly, it 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 isn't just that sometimes it's good for one party and sometimes it's good for the other. It's that the legitimacy of the court itself would clearly decline in the eyes of Americans, and so it it becomes bad for the whole system, unless you think you know we need uh, upheaval, we or you know revolution or something, and so you need to heighten the contradictions. And, and so de- delegitimizing the system is an important step toward long term progress. That's an argument you can make.
0: But um, so I guess. Uh, but there's also something, I, I think, particularly existential about this particular appointment in that it, for women's rights, reproductive rights, health care, um, you know, this could really undo a lot of progressive policies over the last couple of decades and 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 that feels like a you know an existential expunge you know an eradication of 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 a quality of life or a way of life for many many people and i think that's that's the that's fueling the outrage in a justifiable way it's only the question i keep having though is is okay that that might be true but then how do we fight this or how do we push things forward in a way that uh, doesn't lead to what you're just describing with this expanded court and the and then de- de- delegitimization of it?
1: Yeah. Now, if you wanted to. If progressives wanted to be somewhat consoled about specific issues, I guess I would say, you know, there are people um And I actually think Ruth Bader Ginsburg had some sentiments of this kind, although I haven't, I haven't done my homework. I'm not clear exactly the nature of the sentiments, but there are people who think uh, that we'd be better off if the whole abortion issue were handled legislatively. I mean, obviously there are conservatives who feel that, but there are liberals. I mean, first of all, there are liberals who think Roe was not, uh, uh, that it took a certain amount of, intellectual gymnastics to even do the ruling. And I, and I think it, it it was certainly not, didn't depend on one of the more straightforward forward readings of the constitution. Um, But then there are people who think leaving aside its merits as a judicial ruling, um, it's just healthier. If you work through the legislative process to, uh, to, to get abortion rights or whatever you want, the, now, uh, I think... Healthier, we, healthy,
0: say a little more of that. We're healthier in what sense?
1: Well, first of all, um, you don't... Uh, you're less likely to create a strong pro-life contingent who feels that um, the issue was basically stolen from them kind of illegitimately, precisely because of the dubious nature of the Supreme Court ruling. I mean, it really is. There's a lot of people who think that this ruling is far from straightforward. They basically, it depends on there being a right to privacy in the Constitution. You can read the entire Constitution, and <laughs> you will not find a right to privacy. So, I mean, I'm a little rusty on this, but I think in Roe versus Wade, they had to assert that you could kind of infer from, uh, you know, the, the con- from parts of the Constitution that a right to privacy was meant to prevail or something so you know whenever you have a ruling like that it allows the people on the other side of the issue to say this is not fair you know it'd be one thing if you went to the legislature and got your abortion rights that way hard for us to complain right you know they might find a way but it's it's harder um so that's one sense in which um it 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 would be healthier um arguably it's it's what people say. I mean, there's still the question of, is it, is it state legislature? Is it national legislature? Um, I, I think what will happen, I, it looks now like Roe may be overturned within uh, four years. And I think what will happen is it will return to the state legislatures. Uh, by and large, blue states will have abortion rights. I think that that kind of division may, may deepen the, 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 the red-blue divisions in the country, to the extent that different states have different uh, rules governing uh, these various kinds of social issues prevailing, you'll just have your liberal kids leaving the red states faster than ever to go to college, mm-hmm. and so the, the the divisions may get more pronounced. But that that's Did you, the there answer. was
0: also, there was another article in the Times um, that caught my eye uh, by a guy named Spencer. I can't do his last name. Bocat Lindell, or something like that, and he quoted these these legal scho- uh, scholars who were basically saying like one way to 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 work through this is if if the Democrats regain control to to change the ruling within the court uh, whereby it wasn't a simple majority but you know you need a super majority to 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 change these constitutional issues, um, and he felt like that would be a way to sort of. Or they felt like that would be a way to, to keep it out of like try to keep some of these things out of the court, or, or giving and keep them keep the court from getting too much power on these and, and keeping at the legislation level. No, wait. The supermajority would be required where, uh, to to change anything to do with the like any any constitutional interpretations. You know that would be, uh, required. But I mean, six, it would
1: be required by the by the uh, at the Supreme Court level, six yeah. three. Huh. Um yeah, I mean somebody would have to rule I guess on which issues qualify for that but <laughs> uh the the um Yeah, well that would have that that probably would have meant Roe I don't know what the vote was on Roe probably would have meant Roe never happened. Um, right. the uh now it would mean the opposite I guess if you if you installed it now. The, you know there is a there is one thing I want to emphasize that I think this example drives home to say uh, to see the other side's point of view is not the same as conceding that the other side is right. It's just to understand why they think they're right. You know, it's funny. There's, have you heard about the famous Princeton Dartmouth football game in the early 1950s?
0: I think a big, yeah, it's, it rings a bell. It was it's the subject refreshing. of a big, of a big study
1: because it was a famously rough game. Uh, lots of penalties were called, I think, more on Dartmouth than on Princeton. Two psychologists, one at Dartmouth, one in Princeton, did a study and established it when you showed the films to students from Princeton and the students of Dartmouth. I mean it sounds very commonsensical, but it was it was the first kind of quantitative demonstration of this kind of tribal uh, kind of confirmation bias, I guess that you know the Princeton students thought dartmouth players had uh had committed a lot more penalties than the dartmouth students did and that the princeton players had committed fewer penalties than the dartmouth um the funny thing is though that if you if you look at kind of the average number of penalties uh that were thought to have been committed you know you average the two sides you still do come out thinking Dartmouth played dirtier. I mean, that was the consensus. It was the view of the referees. It was the aggregate view of the two sides in a certain sense, if you added up all the, and, 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 you know, it's funny. I, 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 uh, you know, I know, you know, John McPhee, the, the writer, uh, I, uh famous New Yorker writer, I, I know him. And uh, I took a course from him and um, he was at Princeton at the time. And his roommate was the quarterback for Princeton, uh, Dick Kazmaier, All-American, whose nose was broken that game. And um, I think his nose, something was broken. Um, And uh, when I brought up this, you know, John's first reaction was, yeah, Dartmouth did play dirty. And um, he was right. I I mean, he probably himself exaggerated the extent to which that's the case. But this is... uh, this is like the most famous study of this kind in the annals of psychology. And I think one thing it it illustrates is to say that we are all biased and are not doing a good job of seeing the other side's perspective is not the same as saying that there's no such
0: thing as right or wrong. Right. It's not an even, even thing. And, you know, well, that's, that's sort of the keeps coming up in many of the conversations I'm having with friends around, you know, what, what's going on right now and, uh one friend i was speaking to is basically saying look what what the republicans did in 2016 was you know not right not good but for us to block i mean they, they for us to block them now is also not would not be right in terms of the what the constitution dictates and we should we should play, go high in a certain sense we should try to play it high and play do what we can within the constitution play by the rules to win that way um, rather than kind of stooping to, to that level. And, and, but but then again, it's like the outrage of, of the existential issue. It's like, well, it's how much can you play by the rules if the other team is, is willing to transgress those rules so frequently.
1: Yeah. And it's a, it's ultimately a tough question. I mean, today's big story, I haven't even had time to look at it, but uh, it's this Atlantic cover story by Bart Gelman he won the Pulitzer Prize for his Edward Snowden stuff for the Washington Post. And um, he, uh, he's saying that the Republicans are planning to get, I guess, state legislatures to, to basically get the state electors, the ones who populate the Electoral College, to defy, in some cases, the popular vote in the state which would be, I guess, technically legal, but the violation of a major, major norm. It has just come to be agreed that, that the electors go to the the winner of the popular vote in your state. And, um, so that would be a different kind of challenge
0: that that's, uh, that's it. Yeah. And these all feel like over the cliff challenges. Yeah. <laughs> From, yeah, they really the do. Budget, the budget. Um, and that, that, and so I, I'm, I need to take another L. Theanine, I think, because yeah, if I were <laughs> you, I would I, start snorting it, I think I, I started snorting it, I think, because it, it does. Um, this is where I was, you know, over the weekend where. I had actually watched The Social Dilemma, the, the Netflix movie we're going to talk about, right. watch that before Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed. And, you know, when she passed, it just, like, as I said to you on the offline, it was like, it just felt like this major keystone of the foundation of everything that was holding us together just, just, just slid, slid off the cliff. And, uh, you know, and, and there was this sort of in- feeling of things crumbling under your feet as it was going on. Right. Um, and you said, you said, you had said you'd be able to talk me down. Um <laughs>
1: Well, so I said, I, 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 what I had said, I think, is that I'd be able to talk you down from your. I didn't, I, I, wait, I make no promises, no. But, but I think to the extent that I expressed hope that I could do that, it was about your reaction to the movie, The Social Dilemma, probably. And we say, we've called it both documentary and a movie. It's kind of both, it's mainly a documentary. It's mainly getting people who have worked at Silicon Valley companies like Facebook and Google. To tell you how horrible things are, how destructive.
0: There's there it is. That Speak was uh, that was what happens right when you right say
1: Google, and it sounds like you said "Hey" or "Okay" before the word <laughs> Google. Um, the um, uh, where were we? Oh yeah, so so people who work at these companies. Telling you how bad things are. Most of it was stuff I had heard. Right? I mean, were there uh, there were there any true revelations for you? It was a you but know nothing,
0: nothing was terribly new. It was just more the comprehensive picture of it all together when I watched it that that gave me this very uncomfortable feeling that not only if I had been bamboozled myself, but I was you know coming conscious of my own hacked addiction to these things um and and, and it just it was a, a very uncomfortable it was a nauseating feeling in a way that that uh, what was the most alarming
1: mind, or what were some uh, alarming because they talked about various aspects of this okay they're addictive uh they they're bad they can be bad for the psychology of adolescents who if their stuff doesn't get liked um they,
0: yeah, I, I mean, I was aware of the the addictive side and, and, you know, how much they, they hacked to make, hacked the, the, the dopamine, um, feedback loop where you see something you like, you get a, or you get a like and the dopamine reinforcement. I knew all about that. I think the thing that, and maybe they overplayed this in the movie, but the, the algorithmic way that, that they were just these programs try to figure out and anticipate precisely the kind of content that will get you further hooked. I mean, it's like, it's the, it's the, um, if a slot machine is Coke, then, you know, the, 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 the social media stuff is, is more in the, in the realm of crystal meth.
1: Yeah. Uh, wait, remind me which is more insidious? <laughs>
0: Oh, <laughs> well, having done neither I think it's crystal meth that's more insidious it's, okay is much more addictive I, I th- actually I think it just may be
1: cheaper and so more of a problem for that reason but whatever the the um uh which brings us back to Mickey we should emphasize that he was not doing a legal performance enhancing drug he, he it was kind of a joke it was Sudafed but right. Sudafed is the stuff that in a bathroom meth lab you would you you could use to make actual amphetamine um the uh yeah, the I mean, there were two things that got my attention. One was this good metaphor for um, what they do. One of these Silicon Valley former executives said, it's like what the algorithms do is try to find the rabbit hole that's closest to your interests or closest to your inclinations or closest to one of your weaknesses. You know, and then drag you down. It's like I was once on YouTube, and it's like uh, they they advertise some baseball game where a fight broke out. Well, who doesn't want to see a fight break out in a baseball game? I clicked, I watched it, and the next time I'm there, it's like all I'm being offered, almost or at least a an increased percentage of what I'm being offered is violent content, including at athletic events, and that in conjunction with. I mean, I mean the, the, the the substantive point that I hadn't quite grasped was that the way these algorithms work, if, if they find that you are inclined toward any kind of conspiracy theory, they will show you other kinds of conspiracy theories. So they find people who are generally inclined to conspiracy theories and just try to draw them into the various theories. And, and I don't even know that that was written into the algorithm's, Per se, it may just be an algorithm that says, "Well, find other people who liked this video and see what else they like, and show the person the other videos they like." That alone will do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, those are to me, those were two new things. Kind of one a metaphor and one an actual property that was scary.
0: Yeah, and and it, I think you know. To put it in context with our conversations, it the the whole thesis seemed to just underline in, in big sharpie black ink the, the 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 conditions that are continually driving people's ability to have a, a conversation because of the, of the polarization of view. Like you just get you're getting just siloed uh, by these algorithms and 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 getting into your own Facebook echo chamber in a way. Um, but you know, I, I did come across some criticism of the movie that I think is worth mentioning, which is that, um, the the movie, the thesis is basically, it's like the algorithmic profit driven social networks that are at the root of our civil discourse in a way. Um, and one of the criticisms coming from a guy named Casey Newton at the interface, which I found on the verge, he was saying that, um, it's a little bit that's that explanation is a little too facile that that there's online platforms that are not algorithmically driven that have also contributed to unrest and uh real world violence so he and he gave the example of um like chat groups on whatsapp that led to lynching in southern india earlier this year i think um and so that that really questions the, the the main thesis of the movie that it's these these algorithmic social networks that are that are so invidious, and that if you take into the fact that it's also these these chat rooms and 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 chat sites or chat apps that it's it's mobile communication itself that that is kind of at the root of of uh, some of this.
1: Well, is it is it mobile communication simple- or or is it the fact? that you can have these very narrow band conversations and conversation groups.
0: I mean, yeah, well, that's the thing. It's, it's the platform that the, the, the the technology allows for like-minded people to gather and find each other and then to kind of get into the echo chamber.
1: Right. that's really useful because there are the two phases. I mean, on Twitter, on Facebook, whatever. First, people naturally congregate with like-minded people. And it didn't used to be possible To do that, except in real physical space, and that kind of limits some of the the power of the dynamic. You know, if if can only go so far, right? Yeah. How many times can you can you meet in in an elk room lodge? Right. So electronic media were inherently broadcast media when I was a kid, Um, and the uh, so there's that. But but then after that, uh, uh, you know, he's Casey Newton is right. That alone can lead to trouble. But when on top of that, you put these these algorithms, and it can be just as simple it can be just as simple as um, I mean let alone algorithms, just in the, tradi- in, the in the common sense, just the um, the motivation to amass Twitter followers once you are with members of your own tribe and you're mainly following each other, and you're in a somewhat polarized political environment the way to get followers is to highlight the most egregious thing done by the other side. And I wrote a uh, piece about this on the, the non-zero newsletter, which people can get at nonzero.org um for free. And, um, you know, that alone adds uh kind of tremendous power to the, uh, to the kind of tribalizing dynamic. You know, I, I, uh, I, just today, I saw a couple of tweets that I realized are, are in a particular genre of the. Um, I guess you might call it manufactured hypocrisy or something. In other words, uh, you you act as if there are lots of people on the other side who are saying these two things. Okay at once and, and, the, and, and are therefore hypocritical when in fact, there probably aren't many people saying both of them in exactly that way. So here's one of them. This was, I guess, I guess Tucker Carlson came out kind of in defense or something of that 17 year old kid in Kenosha who killed two people. Um, I assume he said, well, it was self-defense or something, who knows. But so, uh, this person on Twitter brings Trayvon Martin into it and says, a black 13-year-old with a bag of Skittles is an obvious threat, but a white 17-year-old with a semi-automatic weapon is just a kid playing cops and robbers. Well, nobody has ever said that a black 13-year-old with a bag of Skittles is is a threat. by just, you know, I mean, there could be a, a black, uh, you know, they would say that this particular kid with Skittles, they might have said he was a threat in some sense, or that he became a threat to whatever that guy's name was. Uh, once they started fighting or something. But nobody has ever said that any black kid with, with Skittles is a threat, okay? A, and now, granted, maybe not many people reading it would would be that literal-minded about it. Um, but there's also the fact that we didn't even know how many people are defending both Trayvon Martin and the 17-year-old. I, I mean, both uh, the guy who killed Trayvon Martin and, and the 17-year-old. Uh, so... That, but, but that's an example of a follower getter right it's like mm-hmm. it, it, maybe that's not the most horrible imagined hypocrisy in the world or manufactured hypocrisy but um, but if you did did it more egregiously and more dishonestly it would still get you followers in this environment
0: right that's the calculus of the attention economy in a way you're yeah. right? going if you're, you're going to play that game you've got you got to ratchet up the uh, the outrage and the yeah. the the very things you're describing it's it's yeah and and that's what gets rewarded
1: yeah and and that and that doesn't even involve any fancy algorithms then when when you do throw in an algorithm that that maximizes engagement just a simple one like oh if this tweet is getting a lot of likes and retweets that show it to a bunch more people then the dynamic is just is just amplified
0: I mean, I, you're probably not going to like this this solution, but there's a there's a guy in um, D.C. named Cal Newport who's written about digital minimalism, and it's really become a a manifesto for uh, a different quality of or different kind and different quality of life in the modern age of basically. He argues get off social media as fast as you can, or if you if you must use it, titrate it to specific chunk block hours in, in your week, or you're, you're you're scheduling to go into it. But otherwise, put it away and do something deeply valuable and rewarding and meaningful in your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically, take back your life. And I mean, I do there's, there's a romantic appeal that 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 I I kind of I like. I, I just I don't know how. I don't know if it'll get get, get much traction. Um, he's he is getting more popular and and I know there are, there are more people out there that are trying to follow along with the digital minimalist.
1: No, no, I don't mind that. I mean, oh. see see this see this smartphone? Mhm. First of all, it's a Huawei smartphone, so take that, Donald Trump. I bought it a few months ago and I have not put Twitter on it yet. Now, my old smartphone was still working and it has Twitter on it. And so if I really need to go somewhere where I'm going to have Twitter, I can I can take that. But this is significantly cut down on the time I spend on Twitter. And I don't – that has pros and cons. I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I would think that the objection this guy gets is that, like, well, you know, this is unilateral disarmament. I mean, if if all the progressives do this or all the conservatives do this, the other side will win
0: yeah he's not I don't think he's really talking about it on the political level he's talking more yeah. of the individual just quality of quality and sanity of life
1: as far as mental health goes i think yeah i'm I'm all for it um, do whatever I mean, you could works- make a
0: case if you if the, if the political pe- folks on the social platforms did adopt a scheduled you know bounded period of time that they were going to use it it would it could cut down the amount of you know uh, gratuitous outrage and gratuitous sharing and and and, and uh, trolling that goes on, but yeah. you know, well, of course, whether that's going to happen or not.
1: The problem may be that the people most inclined to do this were, were not the problem to begin with, and uh, but uh, but they may have been. They may have at least fallen for the for the share bait often enough that they they uh, you know they they juiced they helped juiced the algorithm. Mm-hmm. but but this this basic problem that that the way to elevate your stature within your own tribe is to v- vilify the other tribe even if dishonestly or just or just to honest just to accurately highlight behavior by someone on the other tribe that is the most egregious behavior committed by the other tribe that day and then you know, and then people take that as typical of the other tribe, when in fact it's not. This was a big theme in the in the piece
0: I wrote for uh, for my newsletter. Um, no, and I've been I've been really watching that dynamic play out since we had that conversation. And since you wrote that in the newsletter, we chatted about it last time. Just you, whether it's online or on the, in the news, there's these you do see a an extreme form of behavior that seems to be. Taken as typically indicative of the behavior of the other side. And then that, that, that proliferates a kind of outrage against it and, and mobilizes a whole kind of way of responding that, that is not uh, appropriate to, the, to what's actually going on. Yeah, it's, it, it's taking it's the, the availability bias, taking right. one example and then applying it to the whole. Um, but
1: But, even there, people ask about the unilateral disarmament like if only if only the other side is enraged and we 're not enraged you know they 'll they 'll pack the court or they 'll do this that we will they'll they 'll violate this norm and keep their president in power, and we won 't or they 'll whatever and it 's not a trivially easy concern to dismiss um, but you know I think uh in terms of the the digital minimalism I, I if there's one thing i don't like about just completely opting out it's that in principle, being online and being somewhat engaged can be a a a, a challenge to practice mindfulness to be aware of your
0: feelings and uh I should be clear though, the, the 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 digital minimalism code is not so much about becoming a you know a neoluddite and just getting yeah. away from it entirely. It's more about curating and designing one's use so that it's the use is in line with your stated objectives in your life rather than being used by it in a way. Which I think is what most yeah. people find themselves struggling, just rest having this albatross around your neck of tweeting buzzing things.
1: Yeah, well, even what I did is just take it off my smartphone, and, and it'll probably probably eventually I'll put it back on. I don't know, but um, you know, it's just an incremental step.
0: Don't do it though.
1: <laughs> don't put it back on.
0: <laughs> don't don't put it back. It's well, it is it's, it's amazing what what the difference is.
1: But it is it's it's a tough question because if you want to, if you believe in your values and you want to advance them on Twitter, you need followers. Less time you spend on Twitter. Probably, the fewer followers'll you have because you just won 't be tweeting you
0: won 't be you know it 's tough um, unless you spent your other your other time off Twitter writing trenchant articles and you know and then putting those out and 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 then that 's what you 're distributing on on on, on the social feeds um, so you 're giving more valuable perspective and content than
1: that's in principle possible, yeah. It's still hard to get the word out if you don't have Twitter. I mean, unless you're writing for
0: – Well, you can uh, stay on
1: Twitter. I'm not saying get off yeah. it. I'm just saying titrate a little bit. But, but I mean, um, the bigger following you have, the better off you are. But but, but I do think – there is the thing I started to allude to. There's just the, the the challenge of being mindful while on social media. Like, you see something, you're tempted to share it or whatever your reaction is, observe your reaction before doing anything. Observe what feelings are aroused, ask yourself if they should, uh, if you want them to be your guide. Um, That, if, if, if you can meet that challenge, then I think you can both preserve your mental health on social media and be a constructive player on social media. You'll be better able to engage people from the other tribe in ways that do not further inflame them. And in fact, maybe even uh, give them some reason to believe that uh, who would have guessed, but people in your own tribe are not all horrible and that's progress,
0: mm-hmm. but it's hard. Yeah. I think it's really, and I think the design of it all, it makes it especially hard. There's just uh, the lack of context for everything there. You know, whether it's human context of tone, facial expression, um, or or h- historical context, or situational context, and then the, the juxtaposition of the, the motley kind of randomness of what's getting th- sent at you, I think just in a way starts to di- di- diminish or destabilize an ability to have that mindful perspective.
1: Yeah there's also choosing your feed, like who are you going to include in your, you know, who do you want to follow? Who do you want to um, unfollow or mute? Um, And, and that's, you know, you can make various arguments for various feed compositions, but um, you know, it can be helpful to exclude the most, the worst kind of trolls and, Grifters in your own tribe, I think. Um, and, and maybe include people from the other tribe, including both some calm, reasonable people who won't drive you nuts, but also it's, it's maybe good to keep up with what the trolls are doing. (laughs)
0: Um, this question will sound a little overblown, I think. Uh, but it, it, after watching that movie and, and thinking about it, um, yeah, I had the feeling that we're, we're all kind of complicit in this horrible experiment that's ruining the fabric of society. And that if we imagine, I want to pose you a question. If we imagine 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, when the histories have been written about this time and, and, and we look back at what this technology, whether it's the social networks or the, or the devices themselves, what this technology has done and changed in terms of human interaction and, and discussion and, and conversation um do you have any do would you have any predictions about what those histories might say you know is, and, and this is where it's overblown is it is it is it at all analogous to say a german who might have said in you know 1930 or 40 39 40 i didn't know what was going on at dachau or 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 auschwitz i didn't know
1: uh, well, let's see. You'll have to flesh that I, I, out a little. I mean, what would be the the analog of of the concentration camps right now? I mean, right now, I don't think there's anything like that going on in America.
0: No, um, there's nothing like, like that. But but in terms of the devastation, the, the, like the degradation of the fabric of what holds us together. Right. It, we're all we're all users. We're all kind of noddingly nodding along with it. We're even if we don't like it, we're still on there. We're begrudgingly doing it and we're contributing to this right this, this space this space that is that is just under, undermining everything and like I mean, I I, and I, you know push back on that view yeah. too it's that that, that was no, the view I, I I see. Left. so i think the, I, the I analog the
1: so i think the analog would be like uh, somebody in the 30s in germany saying well yeah i come uh, yeah it bothered me that uh jewish merchants were mm, xyz whatever they were supposedly doing and i complained about it but i didn't know that it would lead to you know whatever um in other words uh the the intensification of emotion ultimately leads to a cataclysm and you were part of the in- intensification right. um
0: yeah and then and then and then the i mean there's parts of the movie i really didn't like like i think the 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 family reenactment stuff like the after Uh, this is the the social
1: dilemma that i was gonna i didn't finish the thought as to why we call it a movie as well as a documentary but it did have this well there were two in my mind kind of hokey parts there was the family part where the uh the the adolescent kid is you know whatever can't give up his smartphone and and then there was the part where they personified the algorithms, right? Where they had these three guys who I think were the same actor, but
0: uh Yeah, yeah, that no, was it was a trio of the same, part, same 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 cyborg that was programming the user. Right. And, so and it, it felt like we, we went into the, it was very Matrix Inception like and and uh Yeah, kind of sci-fi.
1: But anyway, go ahead. So yeah, the movie part you were saying.
0: Well, no, no, I didn't like the movie, the, the movie, like the family scene. I thought that was a bit overblown, but the that science fiction side, of it, I I do think drove home the point that you know that was the the chilling disquietude that I felt. Like that, there was one point where the, the the user was kind of getting pinged or or sort of toggled back and forth between the, the the programmers, and he was like turning here and like looking at things and turning over here and looking at something, and that felt just way too close to home for, not just for me, but just what I observe around me, or at least I used to observe when things were not so socially distanced. It's it's just this reflexive addiction that we're all succumbing to.
1: Right. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. And it's worth, so it's worth sketching out and maybe defending more than I did this particular gimmick where they had, they imagined these three guys at mission control controlling this one Person, which of course is not a very good business model. If you got to pay three people to mind each Facebook user, but anyway, the point was that, well, that the,
0: yeah. those three people are just personas, personifying the algorithm. Of course, yes, that, that's what right. I mean. So that, like,
1: yeah, I'm kidding, yeah. but but the um okay. and and the point was, although as I said, the algorithm is not thinking. Well, let's draw them down this rabbit hole, and in a way that that, as I said earlier, may not even have been what the people who built the algorithm were thinking per se. It, they may have done something as generic as say, show him videos that other people who liked this video liked, period. Yeah, It may be that simple. But the point is, it winds up being as if while you're on social media, there was somebody at Facebook monitoring you and going, now show him this now, now, yeah, now, now, uh, you know, show him, uh, that he was tagged in this photo. Show him, you know, and, 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 and in that way, the gimmick is valid. It, it is, and they could have stood to maybe flesh that out, that, that, a little, that, that. Well, it, that they, was your,
0: that yeah, that was your YouTube, like, let's look at a baseball fights video right like the guy the guy in the video had had i don't know for whatever it was his parent one of his parents said you know you let's not have you use this for a set period of time whether it's a day or a week and he was going through this this tech withdrawal and his phone had been put into a lockable cookie jar which by the way which i want (laughs) to you're gonna laugh you want to recommend i purchased that lockable cookie jar two weeks before i watched the movie that's eerie and it is well i mean i've heard i've heard tristan harris and others talk about that and um
1: he's in he's in the documentary he's a facebook former facebook exec who's now a crusader i think he was
0: a former design ethicist at google actually was he at google yeah i think he was at google i'm pretty sure i mean it doesn't match the same thing but um yeah you know and and that actually is the best thing i've bought in a while like it, it 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 it, it's amazing. Once that thing is locked up, it your, your nervous system like just sheds the the tw- the, the vibrating, twitching feeling. You want to you want to know a great
1: money saving technique? Don't <laughs> buy the lockable cookie jar. Don't buy the stuff you
0: put in it. <laughs> this, but then no, then I know mean, you want you like, to eat, you wanna you get the you want to get the
1: stuff. Sometimes I take I take yeah that. exactly.
0: But you know, like that whole trick of. The, the 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 program that says you've been tagged by a friend the email the notification pop right. up is is like that intoxicating like who wouldn't want to click right. on that and the kid smashes the cookie jar to get to get into it
1: and it is as effective as if there were a single person at Facebook monitoring you and sending you the little you know the little rushes um so yeah uh it's a, the, I mean, given- the one one thought on your historical question, like, and that's like, I would say the good news is that this stuff is very new and we are just working our way through how to use it. Now, the bad news I think is, it seems to me that by and large, technological change has been accelerated, accelerating, and I don't see a reason it will stop, which would mean that we are going to have less and less time to respond to destabilizing things and that is a source of concern to me as is the fact that our political system our system of governments seems incapable of focusing long enough on solving actual problems that we can count on them to do much about this um which takes us back to where we began i guess
0: (laughs) yeah no and it, it brings up the phrase that uh Andrew Sullivan said in his last newsletter, which is that he just feels that the whole system is buckling, the whole thing, and he talked about the social dilemma movie itself too. Did, did he say um, that
1: himself? I, I kind of scanned that issue of the newsletter.
0: Yeah, no, this is the first election where he felt like, you know, in past elections there may things that may have been contentious, but at the end of the day, after all the votes were counted, there would be both parties would agree to it, and and we'd move on. And that's all in question at the moment. Yeah. I know your use, the little I've heard of you speak on that. It it seems like you feel like you feel confident that Trump will accept the outcome. Um, And
1: well, I don't think he will defy the judicial branch. That's what I meant. I I don't think it'll get to the Supreme court and the Supreme court will say one thing, say, you got to leave the white house. And he'll say, no, I do. I still don't think that's going to happen. Now the, the story in the Atlantic about, uh, I guess I haven't even read it, but I think it's about what state legislatures could do with respect to the electoral college. Um, I th- that I now see a new avenue that he could use. that's not technically illegal to, in one sense, thwart uh, the will of the people. But I do think, yes, he he's not going to. Say screw you, Supreme Court! I ain't going. I, 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 absolutely. I feel I can guarantee you that that's not going to happen. Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> well, I think that's the least yeah. of our concerns. I mean, I, <laughs> but I mean, I doubt it'll get to that point. Um,
0: well, but, uh, even if it, even even it doesn't get to that point, it's more. And he does he does step down if he's voted out. Uh, it, you know, I. I the energy, the the, the kinds of discourse, the kind
1: of uh, oh yeah, that he's it's a mess. Do he's
0: he's not going to stop?
1: Oh yeah, I'm an alarmist uh, uh, in general uh, by my nature, but I just think this particular thing. He has not defied a single court. He has had many court rulings go against him as president. I don't think he's defied one. Right? He, he complies. And and I just think it it would not be tenable. I, I just you would not you would not have the support of. Uh, all kinds of relevant people, including probably, uh, the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff, <laughs> if it came to that.
0: So, so let's, let's maybe tack towards, I don't know if you want to get into uh prescriptive mode at all. Like this is sort of the implicit Dharma of Bob type, uh, question, but if you were, if you could wave your magic wand and, uh, offer, a suggestion or a practice right now on on it for for what's going on with the, with the with the court nominee and um, what would you like the, the the progressive side to or the left side to to do in a way that that wouldn't inflame or will wouldn't create blowback that would further entrench the very issue that we're dealing the problem that we're dealing with.
1: Oh, you know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure I have a, a game plan. I mean, I do think you know uh, the business of retaliating with norm violations uh, of comparable magnitude, like packing the court. Um, I'd say you know there there is a place in in deterrence for credibly threatening a nuclear option. That's the way nuclear deterrence works. We we told the Russians, Moscow will go if New York goes, and vice versa, and no nuclear war happened. So I could see kind of, you know, if you could make that as a credible threat somehow, but I don't think that's just possible in the nature of things. I mean, there's no... uh,
0: Well, does that bluster of, we're going to expand the court, does like from Schumer, does that even, I mean, does that even rattle McConnell's cage? Or does he just say, oh no Go I don't think
1: us. so because first of all I think Trump is the key guy and he's uh, I suspect he's thinking about this strictly in terms of electoral politics I'm sure he's convinced that this will help him in the election and that's it that's the end of the story he's not Trump doesn't care about the republic I mean he doesn't care about anything except how much attention he's getting and how much stature and power and money he has
0: well I guess that's part of the question is do you you know do you feel that focusing on the court issue is wise that like, does, does, does the election become about the court or does it become about say the pandemic or his, like Trump's handling of the pandemic and, 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 and what that has caused. I mean, if, if Trump's able to swing the narrative to be about the court pick, just like if he was able to swing it to be about, uh, you know, law and order, I would think that, that, is uh, not such a good thing for, for anyone that wants to see him out.
1: Uh, well, I think there's a limited number of people he's playing to on this. It's not like that's what it will be. The whole election will be a referendum on, but I I mean, I guess one piece of advice is worry about the things you can do something about. And a certain number of these things, you know, um, I I don't know. I mean, it's, he's going to do this. They're going to do this. And, um, yeah, the question is what you do about it. And I mean, there are some lesser forms of, uh, kind of retaliation. I gather that if we had both, uh, if both the presidency and the, and, and, uh, and the, and Congress were in democratic hands, I gather we could make DC a state. Is that I mean, You probably don't know the, uh, either for sure, but, uh, you know, I've heard that bandied about. That seems to me a, a good kind of medium, you know, level thing. I mean, some people even talked about Puerto Rico. Now, that would get a lot more blowback from the other side and, 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 and make other forms of retaliation more likely. But D.C., it's like kind of not that easy to argue that the people in D.C. Mm-hmm. shouldn't have senators. Right. Um,
0: anyway, right. so...
1: So I don't know. I should um we've been doing this more than an hour and uh um I'm afraid that in five minutes someone else may show up in this Zoom space.
0: Uh <laughs> <laughs> Zoom space is a – Double dipping in Zoom.
1: Oh uh, yeah. I I I could have handled it otherwise. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna
0: grind up my L theanine and and, 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 and just try snort to do No, some let's let's promise that for next time. Next and time do some yoga. what? I'll do some yoga. And, and, and do out.
1: some yoga. Now, yeah. one final question for you. How, how, in your own life, how integrally related are yoga and mindfulness? I mean, I, in my life, I think of mindfulness as something that I practice via meditation and then try to mm-hmm. practice in everyday life. But, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, the discipline, uh, it's, a, it's a meditative thing.
0: but But it can play a role in yoga, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in the modern form of yoga, there's such a hybridization, syncretic kind of drawing from all different strands of things that there's a lot of mindfulness that's taught in in current yoga. Uh-huh.
1: Um,
0: so it's, and the style that I teach, you know, you, you in the yoga system, you'd stay in a pose for upwards of five minutes and uh, all relaxed in a way. But um, that becomes a mini meditation or mini mini opportunity to practice this is this is um yin yoga and actually my my argument on it is that uh the the, there's something about this this style of yoga where you're intentionally coming to an edge of mild discomfort meaning you're 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 when you stay in a pose the sensations in the area that you're influencing start to get a little achy and bitter and not so pleasant Now you're meant to tolerate that, and and I think when working with that achiness, you start to you can start to see very clearly, just as you would on your meditation cushion, the the differentiation between the the your experience and the level of sensation, and then the level of your of your experience of mental reaction reaction to it, and that gives you, I think, a a greater perspective on how the conditionality between physical sensation and the the emotional reactions that, that blow up in response to them. And, and you can start to, uh, you know, recognize those patterns with, with more, more speed. Yeah. I used to teach, I think a, I used to teach by Fenway Park in Boston. Um, and the students after the yoga class would say that the drunk Red Sox fans on the subway don't bug them anymore after they do the yoga class. And, and that's kind of like, you know, I see as a nutshell, the mindfulness practice when it's going well is that you can, the person is able to, have much greater agency in terms of how they respond to stimuli.
1: Well, that's comes in handy on social media. So maybe we'll, um, maybe next time we'll talk more about that side of things. Um, uh, maybe talk a little yoga and uh, other, other, other get into other things that, that mindfulness naturally leads to or that the subject of mindfulness uh, naturally leads to. Um so yeah, and then we, and
0: Sure, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I in, in theory, love the idea of mindfulness being an antidote to emotional reaction or overreaction on the public sphere and promoting greater um, ability to to cognitively empathize. Um, I feel like I'm a bad, I'm a bad example. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a failed, a failed case um, in many respects. But um, yeah, I would. We could definitely look into that more.
1: Okay, well, keep track of the your failures and uh, things that, and things you see on social media that make you fail or that are challenging, and we can talk about them next time.
0: And I, maybe this is a carrot I'll dangle. I, I did have an a, encounter with my my neighbor and the white dog. Ah, the little so, white, so the veteran little listeners dog. and
1: watchers will remember. They'll definitely be on the edge of their seat waiting for the next. Yeah, episode. they'll send their
0: like three weeks. Rough. No, it's maybe the week after Michael Brooks died. I I left my door and yeah. and and this little white dog that's always off leash attack came out and gave us an earful, gave myself my dog and myself an earful, and I proceed to um go apoplectic on them. And,
1: and then and, we and, talked and, about how you might conceivably have exercised mindfulness and/or cognitive empathy, but don't tell them how you did. We will find out
0: on the exactly. next episode. Stay, so so thank you, Josh. And we thanks, will well, good see you again. Okay, stay calm.